Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1368, air date November 29th, 2023. Go ahead. This meeting is being recorded. Hello, CryptoLings and YouTubers. Welcome to another episode of CryptoCurrent. I'm your host, Crypto Rick. So today we have a very special guest. Uh, we have Dr. Shiva Ayadure who's a presidential candidate and inventor of the email. Uh, Dr. Shiva, thank you for coming on the show. Good to be here. How should I address you, Rick or Crypto Rick? Yeah, just Rick is fine. Um, So, yeah, uh, tell us about your life for those that uh, may not uh, have heard of you. Well, my name is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. Um, You know, um, so I sort of fall into three different areas. One is in the area of sort of freedom and fighting as an activist, right? Uh, Politics, you can see me in that realm. Um, The other realm is as an inventor, a scientist, you know, um, who's been very dedicated to truth and innovation, right, in science. And the third is someone who deeply believes in health. Um, But health from the perspective of integrating ancient systems of medicine with modern, you know, engineering systems theory which I believe is we're really gonna get to health. So if you look, we have that sign over that says truth, freedom, health, and that really represents my life. So that journey for me has gone through various parts, you know, on the technology side, um, I've been very, very uh, sort of, in many ways, I actually sort of stumbled into technology. You know, it came from a different realm. I was actually deeply interested in medicine, um, particularly indigenous systems of medicine, because I experienced very, you know, um, directly, uh, these ancient systems of Indian medicine where I grew up and their immense power to heal in many, many different modalities. Um, but there is no language in Western science to really explain how that all works. So that began my journey to wanting to understand this, you know, having grown up in uh, deep South India, as well as Bombay, a big city. Uh, and in the village, I saw my grandmother heal people using these ancient systems of medicine, you could call it a technology, you know, so that got me into one realm of health and um, uh, research and science. And that sort of stumbled me into working as a 14-year-old kid in a medical school. Um, I was uh, very, very fortunate. I was exposed to a um, one of the earliest computer science programs at New York University, where 40 high school students were you know, selected to participate in this competitive program. So I learned computer science at the age of 14, I'd finished math, all my calculus by ninth grade, which was mostly what seniors did. So I was one of those very motivated kids. And so I started working full-time at a medical school. And a lot of uh, people over the age of 40 will remember that there used to be a system of communication in large organizations before, you know, the fax machine, before the cell phone. um, And it was called the inner office mail system. And this is a very complicated system that it was very paper-based, very human-centric, you know, using physical matter in the sense they they had a secretary in these organizations. It was always a woman typically who had an inbox and outbox folders. She had a way to write up these pieces of communication medium called the memo, the memorandum, and had a very particular structure to, from, subject, a carbon copy, blind carbon copy, which are physical pieces of paper, which had to be created using carbon paper. Um, and there was a very specific set of protocols, how you would have to put stuff into the 
drafts folder and then it would go into the outbox and then things would come to the inbox you could have registered mail you had address books you had trash cans you had whiteout um very complex system about 100 different features um and you know in 1978 there were these very very large mainframe computers um and people could send simple text messages you know that's not what we're talking about that i was asked to do um no different than sending little text messages through other electronic devices called telegraphs we were talking about the concept of taking this entire complex inner office mail system and converting it to the electronic form. So it's a system, the key thing. And that's what I did in 50,000 lines of code in, in a language that was never designed for text-based processing called Fortran, formula translation, which was what scientists use in this medical school to start you know, doing mathematical analysis. I did that, um, had to capture all of those features every single feature because the secretaries were not going to leave their typewriter and move to this keyboard unless it had the inbox the outbox the bcc the cc and the folders and the address book and the paper the attachments and the trash and the you know all of the stuff departments broadcasts what you would call email marketing so all of those things i was the first to do in an integrated system and named that system email and the only reason was the operating system only allowed five characters. It was not an obvious term in 1978. And then this is to tell you how nascent software itself was. Um, there was no legal protection for producing a piece of software invention in 1978. Um, the Copyright Act of 1976 allowed you to protect books and, you know, theatrical works and, you know, scripts, right? It was only in 1980 did the uh, the United States government set, create the Computer Software Act of 1980, which allowed you to use copyright law to protect software inventions. Now, I didn't know about it. I knew about it after I came to MIT and the president of MIT, who was on the White House Science Council. He's, you know, I was student body president. I was elected at freshman body president. He said, you know what? You should apply for a copyright. It's too bad the Supreme Court doesn't know what software is. It was only 1994, by the way, they allowed software patents. You know, it was this long gap. And this is a problem with people in politics. They don't really have any idea what's going on at a point in history. They're opportunists. They always come back many years later. And a lot of people get screwed in that delta. But anyway, I applied for the copyright on August 30th, 1982. Um, I was, I think, 17 at that time. I get issued the first US copyright for the invention of email. So that's a story. But the key thing to understand, this is a system. And a lot of people get confused. They think the simple exchange of text messages is email. It isn't. You know, that would make Samuel Morse the creator of email. Sending text messages between electronic devices is not email, right? Just like Facebook is not email, um, neither is Twitter not email. These are different platforms, right? Um, so anyway, that's what I created. Um, but I did it before I came to MIT, and that's the most important part of this. And that bothers some people because they think all great inventions must come um, from dropouts or nerds who go to places like MIT, Harvard, Stanford, or Silicon Valley. The truth is I was a young kid who had great respect for these secretaries, and I was solving a civilian problem, right? Not a military problem. The military has brainwashed a lot of people, Rick, to think that we have to fund the military and then we get some invention and then we should be so grateful for war, et cetera. By the way, a 14 year old boy, um, similar to me is the one who invented TV, Philo Farnsworth. It took him 60 years to get credit for that because again, 
uh, Stanford Research Institute and um, RCA stole it from him, literally stole it and started manufacturing. It took him many, many years to get, win it in the Supreme Court. But I think that this the invention of email is an important story, not just the fact that I invented it and where the credit should rightfully go, which is to a small medical college in Newark, New Jersey, not to MIT. Now, I did many things at MIT. Don't get me wrong, right? But MIT or the ARPANET or the uh, the war machine did not create email. You know, that's a complete fraud. Um, and, and this is true of many, many stories. When you look at the history of innovation, innovation actually comes from everyday people in humble environments solving a problem, um, not to go kill people. And then we should be happy we got something. But that's the story of the invention of email. Then I came to MIT. Um, so that was one lineage, right? Creating email, created many, many different technology companies, seven different companies. Uh, did another, my second wave in email just was fortuitous was I created a company, an AI company. Start, AI really should be called pattern recognition. In 1993, in the middle of my PhD work, I was creating a platform to literally categorize any kind of pattern. And it was in a field I had created called information cybernetics. And in the middle of that, I won a contest for the US White House, which was starting to get tons of email 93. You see, between 1978 to 1993, email was really an office application. You don't need the inter, you know the internet for email. You, you could do it on an intranet, right? Connect a bunch of wires together across computers. But in 93, and the World Wide Web came, email became a consumer application and large organizations like the White House governments starting in tons of email and they were getting inundated and they had to respond you know, by law, et cetera. And they didn't know how to do this. So they wanted to find AI, I, I would call pattern recognition technologies. I could take an email, categorize it, an automated White House ran a contest. I was in grad school. I competed against five other public companies and I won that competition. And then I left MIT in the middle of my PhD, 93, 94. And I started a company called Echo Mail, which we grew to around a quarter of a billion dollars in value, where the largest companies in the world would send us their email, our technology would analyze it, route it, automatically create a response. So I have some of the earliest patents, which we believe ChatGPT is violating. So keep an eye out for some of the uh, news that may come out on that. So that's one an, uh, area, I did a bunch of companies, not to belabor you guys, but uh, the most recent company I, I'm working on, it's actually been a 15 year project, is a company that can eliminate the need for animal testing and using the computer, we're able to mechanistically model very complex diseases. And using that, we can go figure out compounds in nature, cocktails of compounds, not pharmaceutical compounds, but natural compounds, how they work and why they work. So this is a way of defending and protecting indigenous medicines. You're in, in Australia, the Aborigines have medicines, the Chinese have Native Americans have medicines, the Celtics have medicines, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem is Western pharmaceutical-based medicine doesn't like to recognize these, and it puts them down saying they're not scientifically proven. Well, our technology can prove them if they work or not, why they work, and then we're discovering a bunch of all sorts of new uh, medicines. In fact, we've just spun out of a company called Nutrisol, which is going to go use this technology to go after every major disease using nutritional approaches. This technology can also be used for hydrogen fuel processing. This technology can also be used for figuring out what are the right nutrients for plants. So that's been the latest project. And it's really in many ways um, what I started out as a four-year-old four kid watching my grandmother do this healing. 
And then also very interested in systems because I grew up in a caste system in India, you know, where a small set of people manipulate a lot of other people and they think it's okay to do that. So that's the interest in freedom and science and health. Um, you see behind me a big mural. Uh, in 2007, when I went back to India, I made a major breakthrough. I was able to intersect the ancient systems of Indian medicine, which were a system, with engineering systems, which is also a system, how we build airplanes and all these things. And I found out that they use the exact same principles, just different words, nine principles. And that became systems health. And we've educated many, many thousands of doctors all over the world, yoga teachers, where there's a much more fundamental way of looking at the body. And we, literally, we can teach people how to be their own doctors, how to look at the body not as an organ systems approach, but from a engineering systems approach. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, a lot of um, a lot of uh, cutting edge stuff. It sounds like, and um, you know, cutting edge and also intersecting ancient stuff with modern science. You know, yeah. sort of bridging both these worlds. If you look at that graphic it's got someone doing yoga someone doing meditation dna but it's literally both these worlds and you find out at the core of it that yogis in india were using the same principles but they called it different names the problem is many of the people in india don't even know what they were doing so they're not not able to explain it to the west so the west says this must be a bunch of snake oil and here people feel like you know you know the yoga people think the Western science doesn't understand them. The problem is they've been speaking a language that I've been able to intersect. Sure. And tell us how that led into your presidential candidacy. It's an interesting story. Look, I've always been very, very deeply interested in service of citizenship, you know, like being an activist. Um, I led one of the biggest protests in Massachusetts and Boston against apartheid in South Africa. This is the 1980s. Um, I organized food service workers at MIT, blacks and whites, so they can get a better wage. Um, I uh, uh, made sure more people of all different backgrounds could get into MIT. When I came to MIT, there's only like 20% women. Now there's 50% women. Um, so I really have felt that, um, you know, you have to have not what the bullshit left talks about diversity, real diversity of ideas. Okay. They just talk about it in a very uh liberal bourgeois way they don't really mean it <laughs> um so i've always because i came from a system in india there was a caste system the brahmanism system no different than zionism or nazism where a, a small set of people justify using tidbits of religion that they have the right to rule over other people and they're the chosen people that's what zionism does that's what nazism does and that's what brahmanism did now we were considered the bottom of that ladder and this, you know, had deeply personally affected me. I was very curious. I started, I'd started studying everything I could do, studying as a kid, everything on revolutionary politics, left wing, right wing. And that led me on a journey to recognize and discover scientifically that the only way the world has ever changed, Rick, is through people letting go of looking to some Messiah from above, but organizing these bottoms up movements. And then there is a mechanics to organizing a bottoms up movement. And the biggest mechanic is realizing that the real enemies of working people are not the obvious fascists and the obvious Nazis and the obvious scumbags, but the much more evil people are the people who come from that realm and then talk a good game. They talk the talk. I call them the not-so-obvious establishment. They're the fly trap that suckers people so we don't take responsibility for our own lives and do anything. 
And now there's a whole array of them, left and right have it. So the left has, in the United States, I'm sure you have it in Australia, the Labour Party, the, the Democrats, right? The right has the Republicans or Donald Trump. The left has people like Bernie Sanders. And they even create fake independents like Booby F. and Kennedy, you know? Um, and they do all these people. And the goal is they know that ultimately there's going to be a class war because of the level of consolidation of power. And in order to avoid the class war, they create these decoys so people are attracted to them, right? And these people tell them, well, let's heal the divide. Everything's fine. You know, we're all one big kumbaya when it's actually not true. There is an us versus them. It is a 0.0001% against, you know, who um, want to subjugate everything right on the eight, the other 8 billion of us. And then the issue is how are they able to do this? How is it a small set of people are able to do this? And then you come down to this understanding there is a physics, there's a science of control, and that's called system science, which really came out in the 40s and 50s. And system science can be used for, you know, creating a microphone, for a thermostat, right? Control systems. And it has nine principles, by the way, the same nine principles that are used in Indian yogic systems of medicine. I used to teach this at MIT, and I realized I started connecting this because when I was in uh, I, after I finished my PhD in 2007, I went back to India to do research on why was my grandmother able to heal using these ancient systems of medicine. I, and that's when I discovered this Rosetta Stone, interconnecting Eastern and Western medicine. And then when I was leaving India, after I did that research on my Fulbright to come back, I was um, uh, appointed by the Prime Minister of India, Manmohan Singh, uh, the first outstanding scientist technologies of Indian origin, because I was an American who had gone back. They said, hey, why are you going back? Can you stay here a couple of years and help us innovate? India has this big innovation center of, you know, 4,000 scientists, 37 labs. But we haven't made any big innovations. You seem like you know how to innovate. So I decided to do that, you know, in, in some service to my motherland uh, where I was born. And within a couple of months, I saw this massive corruption. And they were essentially giving me everything, Rick, you know, huge bungalow, right? That you're treated like royalty. And most people would have just kept their mouths shut and just played the game. I, I couldn't do that because of who I am. I exposed all this corruption. And then, then I had to literally was thrown out of my house and her government death threats. I had to leave India in the middle of the night, you know, on a third class train, take it all the way up to the border of Nepal, cross across, go to Qatar. You know, I just saw these cra crazy, it was a wild adventure. And then um, I wrote an article for Nature because all these people in India were very happy that I'd exposed all this and put my life on the line. In fact, many American scientists were happy because they were wondering, why is it no Indian scientists ever win a Nobel Prize in India? And the reality is there's this massive feudal system where they don't really have freedom, right? In fact, there's a lot of nepotism. So I wrote an article called Innovation Demands Freedom, Why America <clears throat> Innovates and India May Never. And the editor of Nature in India got threatened after she published that article and she had to remove it. And so I came back to India in 2000 and uh, sorry, the US 2009 and 10 started teaching system science, you know, East traditional medicine systems, biology, one of the most uh, very, very popular, the most popular elective class. And that's what at that time in 2011, my mom was dying in all my material from when I had invented email which I never really made a big deal out of. I should have, but I didn't, um, went into the Smithsonian because a 
the technology reporter at Time Magazine, he reviewed all the material. And he said, wow, this is a guy who invented email um, 33 years later. And when it went, it created this very unfortunate controversy. There's a lot of racism involved. You could see the military industrial complex was involved because they, during those 33 years, had uh, conflated simple text messaging as email when they didn't invent email. Right. And they were making billions of dollars promoting to the government, Raytheon in particular, that they were the inventors of email. So my stuff went in. You see this huge explosion take place of, co of fabricated controversy. And if you unravel the onion layers, you find out there is no controversy. It's black and white. I invented email. The real issue was I did it before I came to MIT, Rick. And this is problematic because. The notion is all great innovations must come from even dropouts out of Harvard or MIT. Surely cannot come from a 14-year-old kid who's in one of the poorest cities in the United States called Newark, New Jersey, working in a small medical college, you say? And that's when I realized America also has a caste system, a two-tier system that after you go to MIT, then it's cool to be like, you know, a nerd and you can drop out and, right, Bill Gates, Zuckerberg, right? That's co cool. But you can't be a hardworking person who actually does stuff before you get anointed by these institutions you say and so i decide and that's and i decided to run because i saw this reflected in a woman called elizabeth warren um who claimed in in massachusetts that she was a native american it would be like someone who's a pure white person in south Af in a, um uh, australia claiming they're an aborigine okay because they have i don't know they like claim that some great 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 grandfather you know, has some Aboriginal blood in them or something, right? Mm -hmm. And I saw the lack of integrity here. And here's a woman who got to be a professor at Harvard, a law professor. Everything she had gotten was from lying and bullshitting, right? And so we ran and our campaign was interesting, which said only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian because she claimed she was Native American. Um, we forced her to take a DNA test, which she failed literally. Um, but then I decided to run again for Senate in 2020. And that's when we won that election. It was obvious they stole the election. That's when I had to put my hat on as an MIT engineer. And we were the ones to reveal to the world how the United States election systems have the machines can be manipulated. There's no chain of custody. And when I started exposing my discoveries, I was thrown off Twitter. And that led to a different exposure, the exposition that the government has built these backdoor portals into Twitter. This is in 2020 long before freaking Musk is acting like he's a free speech absolutist. And you just saw it's clear that he's a Zionist. This guy's just an actor. Okay. We can have a longer discussion about him. So during 2020, I was here exposing the election systems, writing papers on it, doing research. And a lot of people would use my stuff and make a ton of money off of it. Trump made about a half a billion. We first expose the fact that government controls social media companies. And then we also, as an immune systems expert in the world, we were the first ones to call out Fauci. You see, so these are all systems problems, election systems, the immune system, the censorship system. And we did that all. I probably got maybe two hours sleep a day during 2020, 2021. Um, but it was unfortunate for the establishment because I have all this training, right? As an engineering systems guy. So I was able to go through each one of these and expose it. And so that's when I realized these people, Rick, do not want everyday people running for office they want their club of lawyers people who are the same hedge fund guys the kennedys the trumps people golden plated toilets you know who hang out with epstein 
by the way, both those guys hung out with Epstein, right? Um, that's their club. Now I'm outside of that club and I actually know how to solve problems. These people do not ever want to solve any problem. They want to just talk about a problem, split the problem in two. They send out emails and they make money on that. That's the racket that they're running. Just like what I saw in India. They didn't really want me to fix the innovation system. They just thought I'd be so happy having a big bungalow and getting three or four servants. They just wanted the MIT guy there. You see, and that's a racket these guys play. They don't give a damn about working people. What they care about is maintaining the status quo. And part of that is talking the talk, psychologically manipulating people to think that, oh, you vote for one of them and you don't have to do anything. Very, very opposite to what our approach is in running for president is that our campaign is about you. It's about recognizing that I am a catalyst that is going to educate you that you have to learn how to think beyond left and right. And that we have to understand these principles of the interconnection between truth, freedom, health, that you can't fight for freedom without fighting for science and innovation, truth, and without taking care of your bodies. All these things are interrelated. And so, and the only way some someone like me could get ever elected is with the bottoms up movement. And even after I were to get elected, what would I do as president? Well, I wouldn't do anything different. I'd do an interview with you like I'm doing, Rick, because the presidency is corrupt. The legislature is corrupt. The judiciary is corrupt. The only people we can rely on are people who actually work for a living and mobilizing them. So in the middle of all the shadow banning, we still get our word out, right? And the goal, I think, of a president is to be an educator, to inspire people, for them to take responsibility for their lives. And that's what I would do. You know, and, I, and by the way, we have solutions in all these areas that you don't okay. have to wait to be president to implement those solutions. So they say that it's not who is voted for but who counts the vote so how yeah. are you going to bypass let's say you actually do get elected how do you stop them from just switching off the button to say well it's it's trump he's the he's the selected one uh doesn't matter who got the votes how are you gonna stop them doing that yeah it's a good question look what is revealed you're asking a very fundamental question the issue is the election fraud if you think about it begins there's two election frauds right one is who they even give visibility to that's a that's the biggest election fraud now the problem they have with me is in 2020 and 20 20 about a half a billion people on the planet know about dr shiva and our movement so that when they try to suppress me people are wondering wait a minute why dr shiva is the one who started the fire fauci campaign dr shiva is the one who taught me about the immune system so they're sort of fucked in that way rick okay but the election fraud begins by this club deciding who is even the theater that they create right the left right it's all theater okay bernie sanders oh my god he's for the working people no he's the guy's never had a job Ooh, booby kennedy is going to fight for medical freedom no wrong he had everyone need to get vaccinated who came to his own home right he believes in quote unquote safe vaccines which is all bullshit, right he still believes in the right of the government to have a right to come into your body and jab you all right so they have all these people they have pre-selected and that's who they create the narrative they're like puppets on a stage puppets on a stage so they are deciding which puppets get the stage who gets the limelight on that stage from time to time the drama that they create as though they're creating fake heroes that's what these guys are doing okay it's quite fascinating they do not want the real fighters ever on that stage 
Because if the real fighter shows up, people are going to realize these guys are puppets and this is a real person. So they put a lot of effort, tremendous amount of effort, energy into making people invisible, right? So that's one part of the election fraud. Then among these puppets, what they're really doing in the is who can bullshit the people the most. It's like a beauty pageant they're running. The beauty pageant that they're running is, okay, can Booby manipulate people more or can Trump manipulate people more or can whoever? And manipulation means who will believe that they're actually going to do something for them, okay? Who's going to... Trump did that, right? I'm going to drain the swamp. He didn't drain the swamp. He brought in the swamp. He perpetuated the swamp. He brought in John Bolton, who's a warmonger. He brought in his own Zionist son-in-law who made two billion bucks off the Saudis. Come on. How swamp can you get? So their goal is they're saying, ooh, that guy's good. He knows how to pack a stadium. He knows how to make everyone wear these hats. Okay, we can use that guy because he just wanted to be an actor and Trump did want to be an actor. Okay. He really doesn't know what the fuck is going on. He's controllable, okay? And we'll even create some controversy around him because the more controversy we create, people think he's their martyr. They create fake martyrs, okay? So that's the pre-election election fraud. Then during the election, once they figure out who they want, then they actually execute the vote counting fraud, okay? And they have many ways that they can do it. The machines actually have the ability to do what's called a weighted race feature. You get a thousand votes, I get a thousand votes, I can multiply your votes by two, mines by 0.5, and that's what occurred in Massachusetts, okay? They can then do other things, delete um, backup information. So you can never check anything called the ballot images. That's called chain of custody. All right. They can make sure that everything is mail in ballots when the ballots come in via mail, that when you sign the signatures, that you don't really are checking the signatures. They hire novices and they give them four seconds to ability to check a signature. Right. And I expose that in our signature verification research project that we did two of them, a pilot study and a detail study in Arizona. So they have two sets of fraud, Rick. So to your question, how do you pose this? As history shows, the only way to oppose this is to building a massive movement bottoms up. Now, if I hadn't run, Rick, frankly, the election stuff would never have come out because I did all the analysis. If I hadn't run, the world would not have known early on why Fauci was full of shit, the immune system work I did. If I hadn't run, people would not have known about the censorship infrastructure portal into Twitter and all social media companies. So think about the contributions just by the fact I ran and just by all the cheating they did, all the knowledge we got out. Now I'm running for president. Obviously, they're going to try to cheat. One of the biggest cheating is make me invisible. So if you go read when some of my posts do get out and others are take, taking our posts, people are saying, you will see more millions are understanding how they're doing this invisibility of a truly qualified candidate like me. I mean, come on, I'm the epitome of the American dream. I'm an inventor. I'm a scientist. I got all those fucking degrees. I work full time every day. I mean, right before the reason I was late is we were doing a science symposium, right? So all of these people involved, Fucker Carlson, Glenn Greenwell, all these fuckers, they intentionally conceal our campaign because all of them are incompetent fools. They all bang each other, literally and figuratively. And they're part of this, as we would say in Tamil, a gumbal, right? A mafia. Mm -hmm. They're organized crime. 
And they spend 99.9999% of their time doing the psychological operation. So our campaign is exposing the shit out of this. Every time they conceal us, more and more people are understanding this. And that's a good thing. It's, it's, yeah. it's extraordinarily good. Yeah, you definitely are doing uh, what someone needs to do. And I agree with you. It's all political uh, theater. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about uh, your policies, because you mentioned that uh, you want to uh, bring an alternative. What uh, policies do you aim to legislate to be the change? Yeah, so let's talk about, so there's, um, you know, every Thursdays, John will put up uh, on there, 11 a.m. and 8 p.m., I do a, two town halls, <laughs> two. Because we have, you know, our movement for truth from health has become a global movement. You can sign in, it's free. And I will take a particular issue and I'll actually give the solution and actually what needs to be done. And we've split this up into six areas. We could even go more. Healthcare is one. The environment is another. Education, innovation, governance, and economy. Okay. Now for each one of those, Rick, I actually take an area and actually give what we need to do. So for healthcare, government ain't going to do shit for you. Okay. They're really good for, you know, the hospitals are good for crisis care. If you get your arm blown off, you get, God forbid, run over right by a car. But most of the healthcare system has no idea of how to preserve and protect your body, you know, through prevention, specifically the immune system of your body. Okay. Which is the most important system of your body. It's like the thing that is the infrastructure of your body. So we teach people what is the immune system. No presidential candidate can do, teach this. Then we teach people, what are the things you can do here and now to support your immune system? And then we teach people, what are the policies that have been passed over the last 60 years that directly destroy particular functions of your biological system? Now, this is quite educational. Now we've armed people with knowledge, right? The genie's out of the box, right? So the policy there is let's educate people to be real, literally their own doctors, not in the crisis side, Okay. And we have a whole program we've created. Um, and Hippocrates said he was, he was not his own doctor, is a fool, right? So we're going back to that core principle. Um, same with the environment. You know, one of the big things with the environment you realize is if, again, the goal is to connect the individual, take responsibility. How do people take responsibility for the environment? Well, if they knew the decisions that they're making on what they put in their bodies, you know, what they surround their bodies around, right? Because they're making choices that those choices are being affected by policies again. So it's very, very hard for in the US for local farmers to even survive. You know, if they're growing their own chicken and their own beef, the government makes it very difficult for these farmers to go get their own um butcher you know to the they can't even butcher on their own they have to go to usda facilities right you go to local colleges at most colleges the kids are eating garbage okay it literally is garbage it's all chemical highly processed foods so now we start educating people on how you can support local farmers and now they have to start thinking how can i do it on a budget we teach people that but that awakening says wait a minute why isn't why am I getting an apple from 5,000 miles away when there's apple orchards growing over here? You see, it awakens people up to this, raises their consciousness. When it comes to education, our policy is that ultimately it's the right education for the right person at the right time, no different, the right medicine for the right person at the right time. 
you say um the best educational systems were you know mentor and apprentice right one-on-one -on -one. that's where you i that's where i learned pretty much most of my things from a landscaper teaching me how to mow a lawn or a coach teaching me how to throw a baseball right or my father and i would work very closely together solving a lot of math problems right or i rarely learned frankly anything by sitting in a fucking classroom seeing some guy do shit. You, you don't get enough interaction and you don't get this opportunity to really go back and forth in a unfettered environment so i'm a big proponent of this one-on-one -on -one education now the elites get to send their kids to private schools where they get small classrooms but they want to tell everyone else that they should have these big public room classes so i think with modern technology right that uh you could do some very cool hybrid things where again needs to be decentralized people are starting this on their own with homeschooling i think that's where we should support some of those homeschooling processes with and you don't even need a lot of money but you just support those processes right because you turn out when in the old systems um in the old one one room schoolhouse in the 1800s in a schoolroom there would be kids from the age of seven all the way to 17 right and the kids would teach each other so there's something to be set up what i call learn teach and serve you learn you also teach so um now in order to do this you need to have the right policies to support that all right but i could keep going on but the big policies are um number one you know this is a very important one the united states should stop all funding to israel immediately all right all funding not one penny if anyone we should send funding to it should be the palestinians because the fight that they're doing i'm not talking about hamas by the way which is by the way created by israel there have been actually secular movements among palestinians and jews right against zionism so zionism is completely anti-american it's anti-us constitution it's anti-declaration of independence on all those things so the united states at a deeply fundamental level is occupied just like Gaza is occupied, is occupied by Zionists. And in fact, most of the Zionists are not Jews. They are Christian Zionists, okay? 70 million Christian Zionists led by these crazy evangelical ministers who report actually up to Netanyahu, literally, okay? They work with the most fundamental aspects of Zionism, which is racism, which collaborated with the Nazis during World War II to butcher Jews. So this is a very central policy because the entire u.s system is infiltrated by zionism and i call it the swarm you know be it the entertainment industry be it the financial industry be it academia etc so in many ways the working people of the united states are uh, strangleholded and i'm very careful to mention this zionism is different than judaism right hinduism is different than brahmanism just like you would say christianity is different than nazism right they may have taken elements to get people, you know, all jacked up, but these are very racist ideologies. They're the ideologies of a two-tier system, a small set of people ruling over others. So I think, you know, every penny of aid should be cut off from Israel. And um, we need to support a secular state, if anything, um, which where Jews and Palestinians, Arabs and Christians, all those guys live together. But you're looking at it at a completely antithetical view of humanity when you look at Israel. So that's a that's a big area. If you look at science policy, to me, it's an important area because starting in the 70s, 
the U.S. science policy, again, has been completely fucked up because the Mansfield Amendment essentially stopped really supporting meritocracy of really great science. It now supports people who bullshit, the salespeople, right? He who bullshits better and says what needs to be said gets funding. So the climate change nonsense, for example, right? Um, you put anything with climate change, climate change and cockroaches, you'll get funding, okay? It has fundamentally nothing to do with applying the scientific method and following, the, it, it, has to, it has to do with falling in line. It has to do with scientific consensus. With, and the whole basis of science is antithetical to consensus. You don't come to the consensus there's gravity. You come to the, there may be one guy who can show there's gravity and the other 99% may not even believe gravity exists. doesn't matter what the fuck they think, right? This is what's wonderful about science. It's not based on consensus, but that's what it's become. They say, well, the consensus is the earth is warming. The consensus is we should move to electric cars. The consensus is, you know, da, 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 you fill in the blank, right? So the way you bust that up is we must bust up tenure. Tenure is this policy where, you know, it's one of the interesting things, the priesthood, right? A guy goes in after seven years, you can get a job for life. I think any federally funded universities, tenure should be made illegal, right? You shouldn't be in academia for all your fucking life. You have to make stuff. It's something you go in, maybe you teach. In fact, the best teachers are people who came from doing stuff, right? So there are people who go from being an undergraduate, a graduate student, a PhD, and then they teach. I'm sorry, I don't think you really have life experience as a 22-year-old kid to now go teach people what you're thinking when you haven't ever made something. Because when you, it's, it's the, so anyway, so that's one of the policies that we're going to change science. The other piece is the entire U.S. patent system, which was created to really support young innovation, has really been destroyed by the big tech companies, which are choking innovation by ensuring that they get rid of patents and they only can file for patents because they made the cost so difficult and they have a racket between the patent office and the legal infrastructure where you have to pay so much money, a lot of money to get a patent through, right? So small innovators, um, it's very hard for them to make it. Um, so that's on the patent, you know, on the innovation side. When you look at health policy, I think I've already mentioned this. I think a, a real healthcare is where you educate people on how to take care of their bodies. And I've actually put together a curriculum to do that. You then have a little bit of crisis care, a couple hundred bucks a month, where if you get into a god-awful accident, right, there's a crisis care piece, piece of that. Um, that's involved to support that, right? But this is really the mix that needs to take place, but ultimately to support the patient-doctor relationship. Um, right now, between you and the doctor is healthcare companies, pharma companies. We've created all this infrastructure that you don't get personalized medicine anymore in any form. So, I mean, I can keep going if you want, but when it comes to you know, the whole area of the financial system, which is one of the most important aspects, you know, you're involved in this. Uh, one needs to recognize that we've created a financial system that uh, encourages at a deep level, the printing of money. Um, the printing of money, um, and in the United States particularly, it's based on the US being what they call the quote unquote, the reserve currency. 
Another way to use the word reserve currency is to say the U.S. is backed by more missiles than other countries are. Okay, so they can print as much money and force other countries to print money and devalue their currencies. So that's what this is about. The U.S. currency um, and the U.S. economy today, in my view, is running on fumes. It's not based on any real fundamentals. You look at the stock market, it should have tanked by now, should be in the toilet. But the Federal Reserve, based on the fact that the Treasury Department of the United States outsourced to the Federal Reserve its ability to print money, so they print money, and then they send it to their friends in a couple of the major banks, who then distribute it to other large organizations like BlackRock and these guys, right? And they all get commissions along this process. And then they, in fact, use the money that they got printed to buy back government bonds. So it's one big clusterfuck of a bunch of organized criminals. Um, and that's what's really going on. So the incentive is to print money. The incentive is not to create a vibrant economy that's actually based on real innovation, right? So in my view, the and everyone says, oh, the Federal Reserve needs to be shut down. Yeah, but how? What are you actually going to do, okay? And what fundamentally needs to be done at a very, very deep level is that the economy needs to run in a model that where you put labor before capital, right? It is labor that produces things and you don't give the hegemony to capital. And that's one of the important, and that's sort of the foundational thing that needs to be done from a policy perspective. I don't know if you, I mean, I can keep going on. Well, this is kind of related. I mean, are the elites planning a, a kind of a financial crisis where they kind of bring in CBDCs, cryptocurrency, um, have you heard about which currencies they plan to use? You know, is it going to be Bitcoin? Is it these kind of bankers' coins like XRP or Proton? What, what do you think they're planning? Are they planning an ICE nine type scenario, or what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, so let's let's talk about this. Okay, it's a, it's a, this gets to this really one of the core things I wanted to talk about that we seem to think that technology is the solution to all problems. And what history shows is technology is actually consistently used for consolidating power faster and faster and faster, right? When the printing press came, we thought, wow, we would all be able to print books. Well, four major printing companies control most of the printing press and the distribution to Amazon and a couple of bookstores, right? So that's what's happened. If you look at any technology, right, you look at the when the internet came, right, or the web. We were all building our own little websites, right? That was pretty cool. And you would promote your own websites. Well, four major portals showed up, YouTube and then uh, Google, right? And Facebook and Twitter. And these four portals, which, by the way, are connected to government, right? You can be overnight made invisible. Before, they used to shoot you to destroy you. Now they do character assassination, right? Overnight, okay? Um, that's that's what fundamentally happens, you know? and so we live in this very interesting world where technology comes, a lot of young people get really excited and they think technology is going to save the day. And I'll hit the punchline. Technology will only save the day until we working people control it for the behalf of the 8 billion people, not the 0.001%. So now let's take what I just said and, and like I'll talk about email. When we created email, it was to be used in small intranets, right? People had their own email server. They owned it. They controlled it, right? 
And then after the web came, four major companies now control email. Google, right? Hotmail or Microsoft. AOL, you outsource your email. And one something, one of the things we forget is those companies own your email now when you outsource it. No one reads their free email terms and conditions, right? Um, when we had physical print mail, you know, postal mail, right? What would happen? The postal institutions ensured that if I sent you a letter, Rick, if someone interfered, including their own postal employees, it was a 22-year sentence in prison. And this was done at the time of the founders. They knew that they wanted free speech to equal free reach. So they created this very amazing institution called the Postal Service, which had the postal people distributing mail. And then they had a police force, which it wasn't encryption. It was you would get thrown in prison if you opened up a letter. Well, no one gets thrown in prison if people are watching my emails at Gmail or Hotmail or whatever, or your emails, right? Um, and so I have felt that certain things need to be owned by the people for the people, particularly these large-scale public technologies, okay? So now let's go over to currency. The fact that there's this mystery about who created Bitcoin causes me such significant concern, okay? So what was Bitcoin really doing? Well, Bitcoin, uh, the thesis is, okay, we used a blockchain. Well, anyone who knows any basic computer science knows that you learned this in first grade computer science class, right? Uh, a blockchain is fundamentally a linked list, which you can program with a couple of lines of code. And it's a, you know, and the difference is that the, the pointer from one link to another is hash coded. Okay. That's pretty much what it, it's not anything big. Okay. Blockchain. I'm using blockchain. All right. And then you're using prime factorization. Okay. A process to do um, this addressing, right. And then the encryption, but all of this is based on not recognizing that when I'm communicating with you over the blockchain, who owns all this infrastructure? Four major telecom companies, okay? AT&T, Vodafone, et cetera. So people are forgetting that there are massive consolidated enterprises that are owning a lot of this infrastructure. Not everyone can do Bitcoin mining. 51% of it is done by, I mean, you can see those data centers are massive. The amount of, you can say, oh yeah, I can do it on my own. Yeah, in theory, but it's not happening that way, okay? So what's seen, what's supposed to be decentralized is highly centralized. And it gets even more interesting because when quantum computing comes, which is not that far away, you're going to be able to break all this stuff, okay? Because you can solve things very, very quickly. So whenever one technology comes, there's another technology which can, which can break that technology. So ultimately, you realize technology never solves anything. And you're hearing it from a technologist. So that's why I say truth, freedom, health. Why? Why do I say that? The reason I say that, Rick, is the truth is the innovation science part. Yes, yeah, so I've created Cytosolve. I've done email. I do a lot of companies. But I know the revolutionary things that I create can never get out broadly to people unless I'm also as a scientist, and it's sort of a triple-time job, also on the ground fighting for freedom. Because the same forces who want to deny freedom want to make sure Cytosolve never gets out to people, want to make sure that email gets, you know, hijacked, which it has been, okay? And then you also find out that you can't ever fight for truth or freedom if, you don't, if you're unhealthy, right? So a lot of people are out with their guns. I'm supporting the First Amendment, Second Amendment, but you're a fat fuck. You're like 400 fucking pounds overweight. 
and I don't give a fuck. You're, you, you better lose some weight and get healthy, okay? Because you're going to die when you're 40. So what does it mean if you can have freedom of speech and this, but you're, you know, you have type two diabetes and you can barely walk a flight of stairs, you see? So all these things have to be, and so I have organized my life, everything I do, that all of these things are intersected, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so when you look at currency, the Bitcoin concept, decentralization, obviously a nice idea, right? But the fundamental reality is that this infrastructure, this highly intensive infrastructure is owned by a few people. And you cannot do any of this if we don't own the transaction vehicles. So now just step back. How are we going to do that? I would say the first infrastructure we need is our own mesh networks owned by the people for the people. And guess what? All these postal service locations, which are, by the way, owned by us. It's a very interesting thing, at least in the United States. But there's very simple mesh network technology that's coming. 25 bucks. You could put antennas and we could create a mesh network, which is a network of the people by the people. Peer-to-peer -peer mesh networks. All right. And we have to do this because as long as we're relying on Vodafone and AT&T and we're basically slaves. And like the, that's what people need to understand. Look, when if you go look at Egypt, when those massive protests were taking place in Arab Spring, Mubarak, who's a dictator of Egypt at the time, OK, let the protests go. But when working people got involved and it was going to get really massive, he made one phone call to the chairman of Vodafone and they shut it down. So you can talk all day fucking you want about free speech, but Elon Musk, his balls are owned by the government, okay? He's owned and paid for by the government. So all these people look to Elon, Elon, you know, holding pictures of Gaza. It's fucking ridiculous. This, where Elon Musk begins, and I've said this over and over, and government ends, nobody fucking knows. And he had to go do some serious Zionist cocksucking yesterday, okay? That's what he's doing. So ultimately comes down to who owns these technologies? AI. Who's going to own AI? If the elites own it, they're going to use it to you know, reduce labor, make sure people are out of work, right? And they're going to depopulate. If human beings own it, the vast majority, we're going to make sure, okay, this job I do that used to take 40 hours, hey, I can only work eight hours. But for me, passing on the knowledge to the AI, I get a royalty in perpetuity. It's a pretty interesting concept, right? And this is how I'm going to be doing a symposium uh, this Saturday on AI and unions and how the unions are going to finally destroy the working people because unions have been selling out workers for a long time. With AI, the unions are completely coming together. So when you look at the Bitcoin, it's a great technology or the concept of a blockchain. The infrastructure for all this so much relies on the elites. And in my view, they put Bitcoin out there to give people a taste of using digital, right? In India, every Tom, Dick, and Harry is using Google Pay because most Indians don't give a fuck about the First Amendment. They don't care because they've been so abused for 300 years for the British. They, they're fine with being slaves, actually. So, And same with most of the Commonwealth countries. So they got Bitcoin out there sort of to get people used, right, to this concept of a digital wallet and all this infrastructure. But anyone who knows what an application programming interface is knows that, and by the way, this is already happening, a bunch of the credit card companies are building the interface into Bitcoin, okay?
So where is this going? Once you get centralized digital bank currencies, they're going to enforce everything runs on their platform. Okay. And they'll have ways of executing that. And this is what naive people need to understand. So right now, if you take the US economy, you have to wonder why they keep printing more and more money. The US has owes about $311 trillion, not 33 trillion. That's just a national debt. Another 70 trillion in credit card debt, student debt. And then another, that's 111 trillion, another 200 trillion in unfunded liabilities. $311 trillion is what the US actually is on the hook for. If you add up all the US assets, it's around 200 trillion. So it's 100 trillion in serious deficit. The US is bankrupt, let's be honest. The US, anyone who said, oh, okay, <laughs> these are my assets. Okay, I got a bunch of gold bars worth a billion dollars, but I owe my creditors two billion. You're not a billionaire. You're a negative two billion, one billionaire. Okay, so the U.S. is a negative trillionaire, negative trillionaire. So what are they going to do? So over here, they're running it on something called the dollar. And the only reason the dollar has its preeminence is because the U.S. has more nuclear weapons and more aircraft carriers than other countries does. So they can tell them what the fuck to do. Right. That's what they're doing. All right. So the U.S. knows they have this problem. So what have they been doing since the time of Obama? They started doing quantitative easing. Okay, we're going to print money to save the big banks. They knew it was going to happen again. So then they created this thing called a pandemic as the outward crisis. So then Trump printed another $8 trillion. Then they need to print more money. And Biden's printed, I don't know how much he's printed right now, 3 to $4 trillion probably or more. They used Ukraine as a front end. They were going to try to do another pandemic, but people got smart. So then they pulled off the shit in Israel. Okay. The goal is they need to print money to keep this bullshit economy running because the money gets printed. It goes from the Fed over to the Zionists over in the banks and the bank Zionists give to their other Zionists um, to move this capital around. That's what's really going on. And the issue is how long they can they keep doing it? So what they're planning on is they're going to create their own digital currency. So here's something called the dollar. They're going to create another currency. Let's call it Fed now, whatever they're going to call it. Okay. It's, but it's a different currency and they're going to make about a hundred trillion of that. Okay. Just poof, just make it up. And then they're going to use 30 trillion of that overnight. They're going to send that to all the banks. And they're going to say, look, we, we don't have dollars. Everything's digital now. Okay. So JP Morgan, all those banks get it. And then you can see, and I've talked this through a, a friend of mine, you know, we went through all these scenarios. Then one day, not in the so distant future, if I'm president, this won't occur, but the fake president, the president of the swarm will say, all right, everyone, we're in a fucked up situation. We all need to pull together now. Everyone's asset is now going to be 30 cents on the dollar. Okay. Because they made up this fake currency to pay this down. So they have to um, essentially um, debase all the other assets. That's what they're going to do. All right. And that's what's going to happen. And that's why central digital bank currencies will come in and people will be so, oh my God, oh my God, my, you know, I have to do this, right? We all have to pull together. That's what they're going to do. And that will be the debasement of all value. And then Bitcoin and all these things will just sort of get integrated in to centralize 
bank digital currencies, you see? And if you don't play the game, they're going to cut your balls off because they won't give you the infrastructure to do this trading, right? Um, and that's where I think this is all going. So then you have centralized bank digital currency. I call it the digital cage. You have this on your phone, right? And then you have it ultimately linked to carbon tax. By the way, a company, very small news story. I think I was the only one who really highlighted this. A small, very small startup got paid, got um, invested $2 billion to integrate carbon tax with centralized crypto uh, digital currencies. So now you will be, your carbon usage gets tracked, your social media usage gets tracked, and then you're linked to, um, uh, you know, everything else. You see what I'm saying? So that's what's going to happen. Uh, yeah. So and, and, and ultimately, so what you can see is three different technologies have come together to actually enslave people more. The carbon tax concept, which is really a technology, right, of calculation, the social media censorship infrastructure technology of, you know, all this stuff, and then the digital bank currency technology. So the key element is it is not technology that is ever going to save humanity. It is going to be the majority or more than the majority of people organizing. That's the real technology, Rick. And that technology is truth, freedom, health. So I've invented many things. I don't know if I can't play a video, can I? Um, you can try. Um, I, I, I probably you could probably send it to me later, and I could put it in if you like. Oh, okay, because yeah. So uh, John will play it at the end, but at the end, I'm going to play the technology that we've created is really truth, freedom, health. Truth, freedom, health is really a system. It's an educational system. It's a community. It's technology. It's training. But we're it's a training to raise people's consciousness to understand that the broad mass of people, or at least a significant subset of them have got to get educated on the systems approach that they're using of the psychological operations of the election systems of the not so obvious establishment. And that's the key thing, the not so obvious establishment. So in some ways, Bitcoin is a not so obvious establishment of crypto, of centralized digital bank currency, you say? Um, Definitely. So there you go. Yep. So uh, so if, for people that are interested in voting for you, uh, can you tell us how they would vote for you? Tell us more about your MV25, uh, you know, movement, and yeah, uh, so tell, and tell us how you will prevent yourself from getting that same tap on the shoulder. Because a lot of people, let's say you penetrate through the White House, you then have this establishment giving you the tap on the shoulder, saying, uh, "Dr. Shiva, you have to do X, Y, Z, or we're gonna, or we're gonna do X, Y, Z." How do you protect yourself from this malignant force? And and tell people how they can vote for you. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Look, first of all, you have to look at the history of somebody. Okay. I could bullshit you right now. Oh yeah, I'm not. You know, I'm. I'm. I will never get bought out. Blah blah blah. You sh people should take that statement at face value. People should look at how is this guy performed in situations where he was actually part of them. How did he perform? And you will find consistently when you look at my history that I've always I've been like I, I say like I've been like Forrest Gump who, who's been in all these worlds. Look, when I came to MIT, I had credits to graduate MIT in two years. 
okay? My path would have been a trajectory to be a professor, a tenured professor at MIT. I rejected that. You know, that was a path that they wanted me on, right? Uh, to buy me off there. I couldn't do that because I started seeing the fact that many of these tenured professors weren't that bright, that they were playing this very, very insidious game. And once you get into that game, you're sort of fucked, okay? And by the way, MIT took a lot of money from Epstein, even after he was convicted, you see? So you become part of that shit. When I went to Hollywood, the model there was you're part of that clique and you get a lot of favors, right? You get a lot of uh, narcissistic feeding by that system. I walked away from that. When I went to India, I mean, you got to think about it. I was, uh, my father-in-law at the time said, no one gets these jobs. I was recruited as a deputy secretary in the Indian government, given a huge bungalow in central Delhi where people never can think about living. And I exposed corruption, okay? Um, when I came back here and I exposed all the backdoor portals to Twitter, the judge was trying to essentially bribe me that, oh, get back on Twitter. You're going to be a hero, but drop all your claims against the government. And you can go on and on and on and on with my life. And now why am I like that? Why? And you have to answer that question. Why? Because I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. I never was one of them. I never care to be one of them. I never forgot where I came from. So when I put up that video, I said, I'm the only presidential candidate who will not suck Zionist cock. Now that may sound unpresidential, but it isn't. It is actually very presidential, I said. Now, why am I able to speak that with such fluidity and simplicity? At the same time, I could give you a detailed analysis of an entity relationship diagram in a very profound way or talk about molecular systems or talk about engineering systems theory, not having to use that language. But that language is a language of everyday fucking people who hate these motherfuckers who fuck them every day, right? So that is the appropriate language. I don't have to speak like this and speak diplomatically and that crap. So my history says it. I've been given many opportunities, man, at many, many levels. And including in the Republican Party, right? By all accord, I would be the perfect token, dark-skinned Indian guy in the Democrat Party, right? But I don't choose the easy way out because I know the hard work of my poor grandparents who had no shoes, who lived on dirt roads. I never forgot, you know, the incredible people who taught me everything I know from coaches, all that shit, man. So I have a, I have a deep sense of loyalty and that's who I am. And I'm very cut and dry, okay, about that. But how, so, do you, how do you protect yourself, though? Because, look, some of these people are, have, uh, you know, demonic-type influences. Some of these people yeah, that so, give the orders, that they're not actually flesh and blood. Like, they're actually, there's something else. So how, how do you protect yourself, is what I'm saying, like, when you get into office? Yeah, great, great question. Look, um, the... It's a very important question you're asking because um, it goes down to the heart of what you believe life is all about, okay? And what existence is and what is it we are, okay? And if you've gone through this journey and you reflect on it, and it's a deeply personal thing. Everyone has to sit in quiet. You can do it through whatever methods you want to do, meditation, prayer, you know, I don't know, whatever you want to do, okay? And if you've had that opportunity to take that time for yourself, you'll come to the conclusion, if you've really put the discipline into it, 
you will find out that this physical world is not it. It's not it, okay? And I can speak that with confidence because I've had my personal experiences. I don't need to prove it. I'm not going to be a religious evangelist. I just know it at the depths of my heart. You also recognize that we can talk about the terms of good versus evil, right? Um, but you also recognize that an individual like myself and others who figured this out, you go on two paths. Either you keep it to yourself and you put your head in the stand and you live a life of quiet desperation. That's one life. You expose it in such a way that you become a martyr too, or you recognize that you're just a humble catalyst, but you're here to educate as many fucking people as you can on this fundamental core discoveries that I've made. And that is truth, freedom, health. That's our movement. So we educate people. The same shit that Henry Kissinger and George Soros, like I could be teaching their kids at MIT, I brought to the rest of the world. And that's the science of systems. And that's what we teach in our Truth for Health Warrior Scholar program. We're training hairdressers, electricians, plumbers, nurses in the same freaking system dynamics that Henry Kissinger learned. Think about what I'm talking about. It's like teaching nuclear physics to kids and giving them this power. So it's no longer relying on me. Second, we're telling people, hey, get on the ground, get a bumper sticker. Now, you've never been an activist. A lot of people would never put a bumper sticker on their car. That's a simple way of activism because one of these bumper stickers, Eric, reaches 100,000 people. Okay. Another thing, um, sorry, my dogs. Hey, John, could you come get Geronimo? Um, the other thing is get on the ground. I've been putting out flyers like this since I was 17 years old, going to the cold train stations, you know, handing them out. This is the future is offline, Rick. So this little bumper sticker teaches people. What's going on in the United States? Like the life expectancy rate is going down. Okay. And this is not because of any one thing. It's because of all the evil that's taken place over the last 60 years of policies by left and right. Over here is who is the enemy? They can go look at the swarm video. Then here's the solution, right? Number one, I'm running for president. You finally have one of us. And you have, it's inspiring because I'm truly one of us. And then you see how you can get educated. Go to Truth Freedom Health. You can get all this incredible knowledge community so you don't have to feel like you're alone. And then come to our online you know, town halls where I will directly teach you how much you have to pay me, zero. Am I gonna ask you for a donation? No fucking way, okay? If you wanna give me money, you know what I do? I give you flyers, I give you books. You give me money, I give you knowledge, okay? And because there's an ancient, ancient system of Indian spirituality which says, that the goddess of wealth is very, very jealous of the goddess of knowledge. So if you want wealth, give people knowledge, okay? So that's a reciprocity I've set up. You give me money, I'm going to give you knowledge because that's the relationship. And you get the knowledge, you're going to get more wealth, right? So if people want to go to Shiva for president, give me money, you'll notice that you give me money, I'm giving you, I get books, you get courses, you get all this stuff given to you. Because the reason I'm running for president is not to raise money so I could sweep a bunch of it and give it to some nonprofit. That's what Booby fucking Kennedy does. Or Trump does and puts it into some other pack, you see, and then funnels it elsewhere. That's what these guys are doing and pays off. We are actually building a movement of consciousness, raising people's consciousness. And that is doing, in my view, if you believe in a God or if you believe in something within you, 
right? That's what we're fundamentally doing. We're raising people's consciousness. And the conscious understanding is a relation between truth, freedom, health, which is a fundamental forces of nature. Vatha, Pitha, Kapha in the Indian tradition, transport, conversion, storage in the world of general systems theory. Now, this is very powerful shit because it's not based on make America great, some fucking slogan or, you know, heal the divide. These slogans have nothing to do with reality. Our exactly. concepts have to do with actual scientific principles. And fundamentally, the world is not going to change. I can be a catalyst. But when enough, you know, you have a big, imagine you have a big, huge body of water that's absolutely still. What do you need to do to create a standing wave? You don't need a big boulder. You just need enough pebbles at the different location. In fact, you don't need millions of pebbles. You may need probably 50. And so that is what we're doing. So truth, freedom, health is itself a technology, a system, a community. And it is truly the savior, in my view, of the human race, because it's putting attention back to people. And so that's the answer to this. Yeah. So I'll be putting all the details on my YouTube and I encourage everyone. Yeah, so let, let, let me give you some action steps. Yep. Number one, everyone, if you are hardworking and you're a little bit lazy, go to Shiva numeral for president.com. Get one of these bumper stickers. But when you get it, go to your car, clean the rear windshield of your car. And the lower left con corner, put this on. 100,000 people see that, right? That's activism. Then people can go to shivaforpresident.com, okay? And they can download this flyer. And this flyer's in the free download. You can go to your local printer. You don't have to do it in color. Print it black and white. Keep some. You start now becoming a different level of activist. You're educating people. Hey, look, I learned from Dr. Shiva, the life expectancy of our children is going to be less than adults. And why is that? It's a system of policies. And how are we going to get rid of that by voting for one of these people who come from them? No, we got to get people like Dr. Shiva in. But more importantly, we have to create a movement. He's just giving us an example, right? So this flyer is action-packed education, like it's rocket science education, it's rocket fuel. And the third thing is people can go to truthfreedomhealth.com. And I can just show that to you quickly. If yeah. people go here, Rick, if you can see the site, this is itself a technology platform. It's a community platform. And everyone should, you can play this video right here, Rick, get educated or be enslaved. You can layer that in. This video literally will educate people um, and maybe as I as we sign off, we can play it. It's a good video to play as we yeah, sign go off. Ahead. Yeah. But but this video will educate people literally. Um on, let me, I think I have to stop sharing. Let me go here. So um I, I think I have to make sure the audio is turned on. There, share sound. Okay. So this video really gives people what the what we've actually created. Um, but more importantly, it will teach people. Can you see the screen, Rick, or no? Yeah. You can see that, right? Yep. And you can see the video here. Okay, let me play this. So this is really, we'll tell you what is truth, freedom, health. Let me play this. We have allowed our country to be taken over from within. And the end goal is you will have a homogenized world where we will become slaves. Because there is a condition among the elites that really thinks they're better than you. Deep down inside them that you don't deserve the freedoms you have. They don't. This reality is what people need to wake up to. And we need to all unite working people. There's only one movement that can do that. 
And that is the movement that we started creating here in Massachusetts, the movement for truth, freedom and health. Look, I've been a student of politics since I was a four year old kid studying revolutionary movements, left wing, right wing. There's a physics, there's a nuclear science to destroying the establishment. To build a bridge, you need to understand Newton's equation. You need to understand the laws of gravity. You need to understand Poisson's ratio. There is a way to build a revolution. And that's why I put this together. My goal is to train a army of truth, freedom and health leaders. We don't need followers like social media, we need leaders, but they need training because the educational system does not teach them history, nothing. So in three hours is what I've started doing. That's the solution. We got to train people first with understanding what a system is, the dynamics of all systems that affect nature. The second is understanding the interconnection between truth, freedom and health. Freedom is the ability to move freely, communicate freely, talk freely. Without freedom, you cannot convert ideas hypothesis into truth, which is science. And without freedom, you can't really get to truth. And without truth, you make up fake problems and fake solutions, which means you destroy our health. And without health, which is the infrastructure of us and our body, you can't fight for freedom, truth, freedom, health. Third concept is it has to be bottoms up, working people, people who work uniting. And what the right wing has done is whenever you say working people unite, that must be communist. Meanwhile, they've let the Democrats run unions, which suppress workers, completely corrupt. But when you look at the arc of American history, it's been when working people came up. We need to go local. Every solution I'm coming up with as a part of this movement, we're giving the science, which is the truth, and then we tell people what they can do on the ground. Like with election fraud, you don't need to wait for some lawyer. Our goal is to train people to go local, to go local, to go local, fight locally. Forget lawyers, forget politicians, Forget celebrities, you've got to learn politics. And there is a science to it. They lock us down, we should be ready to shut them down. And the fourth part of this principle is the not so obvious establishment. So when you look at a system, there's always something that disturbs you from getting to your goal. Well, the biggest disturbance is the not so obvious establishment, which are those people who claim they're for you on the left and the right. The Al Sharptons who tell black people I'm for you, the Tucker Carlson's. Do you think any true anti-establishment person will ever be on Fox or CNN? I don't think so. They both mislead working people back into the establishment. Without this solid understanding of political physics and theory, you're screwed. You're going to follow on the left wing, Bernie Sanders, oh, he said something, or Robert Kennedy, scumbags. Or you're going to follow some right wing talk show host. They're not going to lead us to liberation. It's us. We're building a bottoms up movement. And that political physics, it's a nuclear science of change bottoms up. We have to organize to understand that there is people who talk a good game and then look at what they actually do, left and right. I'm sorry, Sean Hannity may say some good things, but I don't see the urgency in his voice to get something done. And it can only come when you weaponize yourself with the right knowledge. You need to be able to identify a rat. You know, Christ didn't go after the Romans, right? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who screwed him up, his own quote unquote people. And that's where we're at. So these four concepts, I've built into a curriculum where people can go to truthfreedomhealth.com and it's an educational program. We need to train people in political theory. You need to have physics. And I've created that curriculum. People need to get educated. We need to get educated fast. And within a half an hour, an hour, I can teach people two years of MIT control systems. I teach people those concepts. Then I apply it. Anyone can understand it. And then you say, oh, I got to build a bottoms up movement. They have to get politically astute and then they have to go locally and act not sit there on social media they have to act locally defy locally do civil obedience locally but with knowledge on how to build a movement 
Uh, the Senate campaign's expanded to the movement for truth, freedom, and health, and they can find it on truthfreedomhealth.com so people can sign in. They can get access to a bunch of videos. If they want to take a course and become a truth, freedom, health leader, I offer a full scholarship there. But we want people to make a commitment that they'll study, that they'll get certified, that they'll go do activities on the ground. So go to truthfreedomhealth.com. So uh, I think the key thing there, Rick, is that little video I just played was it was literally uh, someone was doing an interview and I just started telling what is this movement. But it's not just a movement. It's not just a course. It's not it's it's a system, right? So it's all these things. And we now have about a half a million people uh, in about 120 countries, a lot of people in Australia, a lot of people in New Zealand. And we've just let it percolate on its own. So we just watch people who want to learn it and then now we're creating a leadership program uh, and by the way anyone who goes through that program adults are encouraged to give it to as many kids as possible there's no cost right and then um, the leadership program we find people are very committed and then as leaders they're starting to educate people but the education is one piece the other is the activism right getting on the ground and educating others so you'll see like you know our stuff is just going up everywhere but it's a very conscious movement right? It is a system of thinking. So that's it. And to my viewers, you know, uh, red or blue, you know, neither care about you. So vote for Dr. Shiva as president. You know, don't vote for people like Trump who pretend that they're going to drain the swamp. Vote uh, for Dr. Shiva if you're a US uh, citizen. Um, and with that, Dr. Shiva, I thank you for joining us. I, I congratulate you on inventing the email. And I will hope to spread this uh, on my Twitter, or also on my YouTube, to gain awareness not only of your achievements, but also of your presidential candidacy. And with that, I thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Rick, and best to you and your uh, audience and, and the work that you're doing to run what you do. It takes a lot to do your job and also to educate people. So I appreciate what you're doing. Um, John, on our end, John, if you could just finish up, we also have a video that we have where we, it's our campaign video. So John will do that. You can find that on Shiva for President. Dot com. Thanks, Rick. So to everyone Thank out there, you. go become a truth, freedom, health warrior. This is really about you um, taking responsibility for your lives. Okay. Be well. Thank you. Thanks, Thank John. You. Thanks, Rick. Bye-bye. Who would have ever thought I'd be running for president of the United States of America? I was born a low-caste untouchable in India's caste system, a system of aristocracy, oppression, and racism. My name is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. I'm an MIT PhD, a Fulbright scholar, a scientist, engineer, entrepreneur, and inventor. My family and I left India to come to America on my seventh birthday. I grew up in the working-class neighborhoods of New Jersey, playing baseball, mowing lawns, painting houses, and coding software. My friends and neighbors are Blacks, Italians, Irish, people of all races. As a 14-year-old, I wrote 50,000 lines of software code to create the world's first email system and was awarded the first U.S. copyright for email recognizing me as its official inventor at a time when copyright was the only way to protect software inventions. I did that long before I ever came to MIT, revealing that big innovations can occur anytime, anyplace by anybody. Growing up, I saw politicians dividing us by race and religion in both America and India to have us fighting each other while they remained safe in their gated communities and in their playgrounds of Hollywood, Martha's Vineyard and Silicon Valley. I'm a fighter. I fought racism and exposed their imperialist wars. 
fought for workers and put my life on the line against global corruption. I never wanted to run for political office. All that changed when I saw working Americans as never before being duped by the establishment and the not-so-obvious establishment. Across left and right, we were being sold out and made to forget why we came to America and why America existed. Lawyers, academics, billionaires, celebrities and politicians, elites, Clintons, Kennedys, Bidens, Obamas, Bushes, black and white have hijacked America. They printed trillions for their friends. They delivered crumbling infrastructure, corruption and racism. They transferred trillions to themselves, dividing black and white, fear-mongering and fake science. Lockdowns and censorship, dirty air, food and water, pushing drugs upon us, making us sicker. We've been sold out. One set of rules for them and another for us. We deserve a warrior with a history of courage in putting everything on the line for you, who believes in you, not them, who has created a movement bottoms up for truth, freedom, health. I've exposed their lies at the right time, never waiting until it was popular. I've exposed their false gods who exist to lead you back to them. I've exposed their fake science of lockdowns and masking and provided you solutions to fight them and win and protect your immune system, saving millions. I exposed Fauci, galvanized the fire Fauci campaign when others remained silent. When they stole our election, we sued the government and Twitter in our historic 2020 federal lawsuit, exposing in bare view the government and big tech censorship infrastructure, the unholy alliance between government and social media companies. Where was Elon and his grifters? They stood by the sidelines and did nothing. They did not use their megaphones to help us when it could have made a big difference. Now our movement grows for truth, freedom, health, independent of all of them. Every day millions are learning the science of systems, the knowledge the elites do not want you to have, so you may learn how to think, stand up, and fight, independent of the establishment of left and right and their fake heroes. Now it's time for you to join the movement to win back America, to win back truth, win back freedom, win back your health. That's why I'm running for President of the United States. This race is about you. This race is about truth, freedom, health versus power, profit, control. We've had enough. They think we'll fall in line and vote again for their lawyers, celebrities, billionaires, and chosen ones from above. We choose our heroes from below, from the rank and file who do what is right at the right time, not when it's convenient and popular. They can never represent us. What America needs is a movement by the working people for the working people who are educated, organized, decentralized, and fight for independence from their systems of control. And that movement exists. It's ready for you. We don't need them. We need us to go bottoms up, neighbor to neighbor. My journey, your journey are all the same. It's our time. It's time we had one of us. It's time to win back truth, freedom, health, to win back America, be part of this historic movement all the way to our victory on November 5th, 2024. If you're an American citizen, pledge your vote now for Dr. Shivaya Duray, the independent candidate for U.S. president. No matter where you live, you can be a part of this. Volunteer as little as 20 minutes a day. Don't delay. This is Dr. Shivaya Duray, and I approve this message paid for by Dr. Shiva for president.